This is Moran for the Raw and Radical on Display podcast, conversations with amazing women in the arts. She works with paint and photography and installation, amongst other mediums. She is from Australia, from Adelaide, and she's from Estonian parents. She lives now in Spain and France. Welcome, Chris. Thank you very much, Maureen. I'm pleased to be invited. Oh, you're very welcome. I think your work frames so well for this podcast because your main subjects are women. Yes, that's right. I was uh, thinking uh, that you could tell us how you started and, and why do you pick uh, this subject, which is really overall most of your images, right? Yeah, it's true. Most of my images are women. And it's funny that so many people ask me, why do you paint women? Um, why so many women? And I find it curious because for centuries, men have been painting images of women <laughs> and nobody really asked them <laughs> for sure yeah. why, why are they painting women? And so it's, it's just quite a curious question because there's so many women in historical images. So for me, it's um, a woman painting women from a, a totally different perspective. But in terms of the way that I, I got started, it, it just, it, it, it evolved. I guess I was painting my own experience and uh, I come from a background that uh, is, well, I originally trained to be an art teacher, but then when I finished my studies, I actually, I couldn't get a job teaching art, so I decided I'm going to set up my own business doing something. So I set up a, a business doing fashion design where I was making clothes and selling them. So that oh, I, wow, interesting. Yeah, so I was making one-off uh, silk, silk dresses. And um, I had this exposure to the fashion world and mannequins and display and, um, and modeling and models. And that, was, that provided part of, my, uh, part of the influence in, in terms of my choice of subject matter. And also an on, a love of old pictures, old paintings, the way that women are represented um, uh, they're so so beautiful, but there's a combination of a combination of uh, frustration with the way they're depicted, and then admiration. Yeah, it's interesting because your women are. I mean, I'm talking in a general way, but I think your women have a, a real um, sensuality. And they are very expressive in their movement. And in the same time, I mean, they're very woman-like. Uh, they really look like women. And uh, some of them really look at us straight in the eyes. I mean, a lot of them actually really look at us straight in the eyes. And you feel like they're really telling us something, right? Oh. And, then, and then they also, so, so it, it I can feel that movement and you also see all the fabrics, how they fall on the body and how they fall with the movement. And they're also very strong. Uh, they appear very strong yes. a lot of the time. Yeah. So in the exhibition, Bad Mannerism, those paintings are, they, they look so fragile and yet they, they are so big and, and so, Ooh. so strong. So, there's a bit of a duality. I was wondering if you can talk a bit about that. 
Yes, well, um, there is a duality, and in and in in my paintings, I uh, I I take I, I like to pose questions rather than um, give answers, and uh, I get overwhelmed very easily, and I have lots of different arguments and different points of view going around in my head at, at any given time. So in my paintings, I it's almost like a pictorial argument with myself. Awesome. <laughs> so I say, oh, maybe it's like this, and maybe it's like this, and a bit of this, and, and so I try to put the different elements all in together. And so at, at one glance, you can get the whole picture, literally, mm. um, and then you can look at it bit by bit. But um, a, a, a lot of my, the, the reason why I paint the women in the way that I paint them is because when I was growing up, I felt um, very, I felt invisible and squashed and my family, my, I grew up in a very strict family where my parents were war refugees from Estonia and my mother was six years old when she had to leave Estonia and the whole family went to um, Germany and similar scenario with my father but he was a little bit older. My mother um, spent nine years in displaced persons camps in Germany during the war and ended up with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder hmm. and so when I was born into this kind of family it was quite traumatic for me and it was almost as if that my mother was so traumatized that she just continued this um, the model of the <coughs> the refugee camp in the in the home wow so our home is like living in a refugee camp that's how how it felt like and it's only really now that I've been able to analyze it and talk to my sister about it and and figure out what it was like but it, it felt like we were in that, that same model had, had been brought home so because I, I my sister and I both were and I have a brother as well but my sister and I seem to to feel it the most and so we had it was a very high control environment where we we didn't have any any say we didn't have any power um, it was just a matter of complying with rules and regulations um, so now when I am painting my women in a I'm I I want to be seen I want to feel strong I uh, my main problem when I was growing up was that I just felt like nobody noticed me I was invisible mm. And so now I, I paint in my paintings, which you probably you can't see when you look at the reproduction on the internet, but my paintings are all very large and the women are, are all larger, much larger than life size. So they're giants because I feel like you, I, I don't want you to ignore my women. Yeah. <laughs> my women have to be seen. Yeah, this, this is great actually. I think a lot of us, have uh, this issue with invisibility and being, you know, the good girl to do the right thing and not make a fuss, not stand out, uh, you know, be the perfect doll in a way. And in your work, you also use dolls. Yes, whether it's dolls or fashion store mannequins, and the most recent series you talk about bad mannerism, I've used mannequins from Zara shop windows in Barcelona. And then I've used figurines also, which were little figurines that were of children or women that were in my mother's china cabinet when I was growing up. 
and my grandmother's china cabinet. So with these uh, dolls, when I was growing up, I absolutely detested dolls. <laughs> I hated I hated dolls with a vengeance, and I I couldn't at the time. Well, I wouldn't be able to explain why, but. Um, but it was because the doll represented the perfect child, mm -hmm. this model that I was being forced into, and yeah. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it, and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. So if anybody gave me dolls, I, I uh, murdered my dolls. I attacked them with a vengeance, and it was the only way I could express my anger and frustration. Mm -hmm. um, so my mother told everybody, don't give her dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have room for um, room and space for creativity? There was no encouragement for it. Um, actively, it was some space that I, I made for myself because I had I was so frustrated and just had a lot. I actually had a lot of anger inside, even though I looked like I was a really good girl and I, I complied and so on. But I I, I was so I had so much going on inside, yeah. and as a sensitive, nervous child, it was probably even worse. So I ended up starting just to make little sketches and little drawings in my notebooks of, of um, almost like a visual problem solving. I would do pictures of what what I wanted my world to be like. I would. Um, look at the calendar in the kitchen, which will say of the Swiss Alps. And I've never been to Switzerland. I still haven't been to Switzerland, actually. You have to come. <laughs> I know. And I would, and I would um, draw pictures of these mountains because they represented freedom for me and they represented space and, and openness. Wow. So I then moved on to going to my uh, dad's garage. We, had, we lived in a house on a block of land like everybody does in Australia. And I went to his garage and I had been given some oil paints. I can't remember where I got them from, but I started painting pictures um, on little scraps of cardboard that were there on the weekends. Um, and they, I created these landscapes or places that I wanted to go or I took pictures that were around me and just incorporated these images to create my own uh, pictures. And this was the only part of my world that I had any control over. Mm. Wow. That I felt that, that I, this was my own tiny little speck of the universe where I could control this part of my life and I could express freely all the the things or some of the things that were brewing inside. Yeah, wow. And now look at that. <clears throat> Large scales. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is fantastic. This is fantastic. Yeah. Do you think that uh, we are, I mean, in which way do you think we are influenced by our limited belief and, and the, the people around us, the, the pressure from the peers around us when we grow up? And, well, it's a, very, it's a very hard balance because we need other people and we need them to survive and we are totally interdependent. We, none of us can live independent lives and so it's a very hard, it's a very hard balancing act for, for everybody in, in their lives and especially for me when I was, when I was growing up in my particular family background, my um, parents just wanted to become totally Australian. Mm. And my mother probably became more Australian than the Australian. So 
she would just worry about what the neighbors were thinking and copy what they were doing and um, she would actually say to us when we were doing something, what will the neighbors think? Yeah, I heard that As, one too. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and my father didn't really care about what the neighbors thought, but my father was working too hard to have much time to, to interact with us. So, so it was... Um, very much um, inbred or bred into us as as children about conforming and I'm, I sometimes fantasize what it would be like growing up in a different kind of family where that that scenario would be different and different societies are different as well. I, I imagine Switzerland is different from say Spain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think um, I've seen a lot of people uh, not really pursue art career or creative careers uh, because mm -hmm. of peer pressure and because also of the environment, uh, how it is, uh, how easy, you know, it is to become a creative person or not. And I think the environment mm -hmm. where we grow up really has an influence on our lives and also mm -hmm. is really uh, limiting us in some ways uh, to be able to grow and expand and uh, you know, uh, really become who we are. I'm 100% I'm sure of this. The more I see things through the years, the more I am convinced that our environment has a big influence on how far we can go. I guess I had thought so much about the the family environment that, that it's true that the, the general environment has a, a large impact as well and and it took me a long time to become an artist I always painted I always made work but I didn't become an artist um, for a very long time because I just resisted I didn't even know that this existed I hadn't been given permission to do so when I wanted to go to art school my mother called me bohemian <laughs> uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so that didn't go down very well at all and so, I, in a, a kind of compromise, I, I decided, well, I won't be an artist, I'll be an art teacher. I'll do the art teaching course, so I'll always be able to fall back on, on teaching. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a very long time. I did all sorts of other jobs before I had the confidence to end up doing what I wanted to do the whole time. Do you feel like it's a bit like a parallel word if sometimes we see others do it and we feel like it's not even for us that we cannot even consider it. So we know it exists, but it's not for us. We are somehow, we feel separated from that reality. Yeah, it, it is. It's true. And I, I didn't have any models. I didn't know any artists or see that it was a viable career option. Um, when I went to career guidance at school, and we had this little in, an interview with some guy that looked like a public servant that turned up and everything I said I wanted to do, he said, oh, no, that's very competitive. Oh, no, that's very competitive. <laughs> everything I said. <laughs> I, think, I think we all heard that all over the world. It's very competitive. Don't go there. Yeah, yeah. So it was just, yeah, it was, it was crazy, really. Um, I think for me the turning point to become an artist was just the frustration just built up, built up, built up. It's like a, a pressure cooker, just gradually over the years. Yeah. The pressure kept building up. And one day I found myself um, just by myself. I was in Sydney and I was at the 
Art Gallery of New South Wales, the main Sydney art museum, and I was looking at an exhibition of modernist paintings. And there were the there was the the Kandinsky's and the Beckman and the whatever. And I just basically tears came to my eyes. I just started crying because I just thought this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, it was just so. Wow. And the fact that I was there by myself, no one was with me in Sydney that day, and it, it I just thought I just have to do this. Wow! So it really came strong to you. So it built it and built it and mm. built it, and then one day you say that's it. Yeah. How did you? What did you do after that? Well, um, my um, my partner was very encouraging, and because I always said yes, I want to do it. But I, you know, how you procrastinate. Yeah. I, I sort of said yes, I want to do this, but I. But what am I going to do to take the step? So I, I went. I took a step. I went. I just enrolled for one subject at um, art school because I'd studied art teaching before, but that's not the same really as studying. Uh, pure fine art degree. So I went to a new art school that had started that was like an atelier-based art school oh, in, wow. in Adelaide. Mm. And I just did one subject and I thought, well, I'll see what this is like, life painting I did. And I thought, well, I know all of this already, I'll be fine. <laughs> but I actually realized that you know, I had a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was just riveted. I was fascinated because it was the first art school that would actually teach some skills and the skills was the vocabulary that I needed. Yeah. So I, after doing my one subject in one year, I got a scholarship to study full time nice. at um, the art school. So I then studied there for the next um, two years and completed my, um, my degree. And then I got a scholarship to go to London and um, study at Chelsea College of Art nice. to do my past and say so that was a huge thing too. Um, and just one thing led to another. I established a studio in Adelaide when I finished my course and set up with, um, we had a, an all-women's studio. Nice. Wow. With six artists together. Uh, it was really good. Amazing. So you stayed in London, you went into the studio, and, and after, how did you end up in Spain? Uh, well, in in London, I was I was only in London for one year because I had a scholarship. Everything was paid for, accommodation, study, everything, to do my master's at Chelsea College. And then at the end of the year, uh, I wasn't sure what to do next because London's a very expensive place. Yeah. Um, I was lucky because at the end of the year show, some big name collectors came through and I, I sold my uh, work to them or they, they purchased my work. And I, Charles Saatchi came and bought uh, two of my big paintings and I was in total shock. I couldn't sleep for Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> um, and as a result of, of um, some big name collectors buying my work, like the brother-in-law Richard Branson, the Branson family bought my work. Nice. A lot of high-profile people, because it just happened to be the art world happened to be just big names who were the local names. So I didn't want to go back to Australia. Um, I think secretly I'd always been longing to escape from Adelaide. Well, it wasn't very secret, actually. <laughs> so I had always been longing to escape from Adelaide. <laughs> it's not because Adelaide's not a nice place. It is, but I just wanted to experience more yeah. and, and do more and see more. And because my family had a European origin, my 
in many ways I felt more at home on uh, in the European side of the world than in uh, in Australia, or, or equally so at least. Mm. So after London, um, my um, my partner is French, or he's actually French Spanish. So his mother's French and father Catalan. And we'd always wanted to spend some time here. So he had inherited a little apartment in uh, Montpellier in the south of France. Nice, yeah. So we decided that instead of staying in London, we would just go to Montpellier because we could stay there for free. We didn't have to pay exorbitant rent and we would just try things out awesome. for a while. yeah. It's a great place. So, yeah. yeah, so then one thing led to another and um, Barcelona is so close, it's a three-hour drive. And, yeah. Um, And so now we have a place in Barcelona as well. He inherited a place in Barcelona. So nice. Yeah. <laughs> convenient. So now we're between the, the, the two places. Um, but Barcelona is, uh, is just such an exciting city. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's quite irresistible. Yeah. So you would agree that the environment really brings extra inspiration to your creativity? Totally. Totally, because because there's there is it's it's not just the visual environment which is definitely part of it, but it's the social environment. It's the energy of the people, yeah. the aspiration. Yeah. Um, even walking down the street when I'm walking to my studio in Barcelona, and it's not in this really super central, super rich area. It's. Uh, It, yes, it's, it's in a, quite a nice area, but it's just on the edge of Barcelona. But I walk past and I see everyone on the street smiling, having fun, yeah. all ages, old people, young people. There's such a good energy. Yeah. Um, and you, you feel it, you breathe it in. I totally understand that. You felt a calling, right? You felt it strong yeah. inside you. So, mm. And I think we all can feel it in a different intensity. And I was wondering how, how, do you, how did you recognize it? How did you decide to act on it? How, what made you really feel that it was really a calling and it was not just, you know, a whimsical idea or mm. just your imagination or... Uh, mm. I know it's, it's, it's hard to grasp, right? It's, it's a hard feeling. Um, Because I think, like, through my life, I've been really following that calling, you know. And then when you get disconnected from, from it, meaning not following it, then things start mm. to feel, I don't know if it's unreal or wrong or, or you start to be on, in the wrong movie. And it's like you can, you can imagine how your life should be, but then... It's not, you know, it, so I was wondering if you can tell us a bit about that because you had such a strong, not vision, but a strong picture of it. Yes, it's, well, for me, uh, it's, uh, I tried all sorts of other, other options and I was so depressed and so miserable, I had no choice. Yeah. So I, um, I tried normal jobs. I worked in retail management and I would just, be driving to work and be in tears. Um, I got so depressed mm. 
and just so miserable where I felt that I just did not belong. And I could do all these jobs perfectly well. People thought I was really good at it. I yeah. was running a $5 million business in a department, in the ground floor of a department store, responsible for that, yeah. this part of the business. And I could do a perfectly good job, but I, I was so miserable. So recognizing the calling was almost like it was a matter of life or death. I mean, it was survival. I just couldn't be happy any other way. And, and, and it, the choice was forced upon me. It was my health that was at stake. My mental health was at stake. Wow. Not that it's an easy, an easy option because the, it, there are a lot of hardships. It's not an easy road deciding to be um, self-employed, to be an artist. Yeah. But the other options all just one by one got crossed off. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, okay, so that was it. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and when we look at your work now, I mean, wow, I'm so glad that you followed this calling because imagine you wouldn't have done any of it. I mean, this is, I think, something we can all um, really hold on to, uh, you know, when you have such a body of work like yours to to really feel like, well, if we don't do it, then what would we have missed, really? It's, mm. it's, it's mind-boggling, and it's beautiful, and it's crazy, and it's, it's amazing because you did it. So, yeah. Yeah, but you, you say that, but I don't feel that, and I don't think, I mean, I thank you for the compliment. I, uh, it's, it's so good to get... Uh, this kind of response and, and feedback, but I think all of us have our self-doubts yeah. and we it's tr trying not to let that self-doubt rule what, what we do and rule our lives yeah. because the self-doubt can be so overwhelming. And, and I found that from my experience, the better the artist, the more the self-doubt because the artists that are so truly self-confident and sure of themselves are the ones that are not very self-critical in terms of the quality of their work. Mm. Um, Interesting, yeah. And because I sometimes I meet people that, that start telling me about their work and, and I, I'm expecting to see some masterpiece and when I'm actually confronted <laughs> with the work in real life, <laughs> oh! <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and that's, that's the thing, because they're so good at self-promoting and marketing and, yeah. and um, clearly not the self-critical part isn't, isn't part of their makeup. So we need to be self-critical. We need to be constantly striving, but not in a destructive way. So it's trying to manage those, those two aspects. Yeah. <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> And so, so how do you do that? Because self-doubt, oh gosh, it's, um, it's really powerful. I mean, it can yeah. really, I feel it can really take us in ways that, you know, it kind of sneaks in and then it's there mm -hmm. and then it criticizes not just what you do, but who you are and how you do it and the past, the present, the future. It's, it's everywhere. It's, it's like a virus, right? Yeah, it's true. And I've, I have had to make a conscious effort and try all sorts of strategies over time because I overthink my work and then I'll repaint a painting on top of it several times and I'll think, oh, this is crap. I've got to redo it. And, and 
often I have repainted a, a, the same painting on top of an old painting on top of an old painting when there was nothing wrong with the first one. The second one was just different. Yeah. Both paintings could have happily existed in the world. Um, but I've, I'm, I've now, what I'm trying to do is I really need to, to shut out the audience when I'm making my work because I self, I edit too much. Um, I actually made a big sign that went up in my studio that was there for a while saying the world needs my art, <laughs> just to remind myself. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, and I now try and make my, my work I, and I have this imaginary that an audience of one and I just think there's an audience of one, it's myself and I'm the audience and I, and I, I need to shut out the, the audience because I edit to try and fulfill expectations of what people would want for my work. Even when I have an exhibition coming up, I, I, try, um, I try not to consider the audience. Yeah. But in my subconscious, there is this little seed in the back of my head thinking, no, oh, this has got to be this show and, and what are people going to think about this if I put this in? So it's very, I find it a struggle to, to make my work uh, in, a, in an authentic, in a totally authentic and vulnerable place, which is where I need to be. I know I need to be there in an authentic yeah. and vulnerable place so that everybody else will relate to it and I'm being honest. Yeah, that makes total sense. It's a very nice image what you just gave us. When you started with your master, you had big collectors, big name collectors by your work. How do you stay there for your career? Yeah. Well, it, I don't think anybody stays in, in any place. And I think it's normal that there are ebbs and flows, there are fluctuations. Uh, you may be in fashion today, you may be out of flavor tomorrow. So it, for me, it's a matter of being true to yourself, and which is the old. <laughs> it might sound cheesy, but, it, but it's just to make your work and keep on with making your work and not to worry so much, um, yeah. not, to, not to be set off course by either the, the good critiques or the bad critiques because, yes, I, I have sold my work to, to big collectors, but things change. I've, I've been with galleries and galleries have closed. I found myself with no galleries. I found myself with masses of galleries. And, um, but in the end, it's you and your studio with, with the work and that yeah. and making the, the good work is, is the priority. My work is my priority, not the collectors, not the galleries, although I need, I need them as well and I want to share my work. But if, if I'm not making good, honest, um, truthful work, the rest of it is a waste of space. Yeah, yeah totally. Would you say that your work has to do with freedom and liberation? Yes, freedom is a huge, a huge theme in my, my work because I felt that I had no freedom as a, a child. So, so in my images, for example, I, uh, in my images of women that are doing house, uh, house chores yeah. like dusting or cleaning. <laughs> yeah. um, I've turned, I've taken this for inspiration, these tiny little paintings, um, Dutch genre paintings, uh, 
for example, by Vermeer and his contemporaries, where you have these little women painting and uh, doing their chores inside, and I reinterpreted them by using contemporary women doing the dusting or the ironing, and but I put them outside in the landscape, and I made I turned them into heroic figures. Yeah. Um, so they're outside of the home, and they were having some power in influencing the world. Yeah, because in one of your image, the duster is like some kind of magic wand or some kind of a sword of a superhero. She's got this rainbow duster that she's dusting like a magic wand on top of this mountain, holding up in the sky. Exactly, um, yeah. And then these sparks flying off the top of the mountain, this light. Yeah. <laughs> And she looks straight at us. <laughs> yeah, I deliberately, I love to engage that, that direct um, gaze with the, with the viewer. I, I do it deliberately because uh, having someone look you directly in the eyes and establishing contact is, is important for me, for my figures, to actually be confronting the viewer saying, I'm here, you need to look at me, yeah. I'm looking at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very visible. So what are you working on now? Well, at the moment, I'm working on getting a new studio, my new studio in Barcelona. I've actually just been fixing it up, repairing walls, plastering, painting walls instead of painting pictures. <laughs> but that's the, but that's maybe, oh, maybe just a couple of weeks' work away to, to being ready. So I'm really excited because for the first time, I'm going to have a much bigger space wow. to work in where I can stand far enough back from my pictures to see them. I've, I've previously been in spaces that were all a bit too small. Oh, wow, great. Um, so I'm working on getting the new studio happening, and I've actually imposed upon myself um, a kind of a gap year because I want this, the the space, the emotional and the mental, psychological space to, to make, um, to start a new body of work without having a, a gallery deadline, yeah. without having this imposed upon me. And I want to see as an experiment what happens and if this affects the work in some way, this freedom to experiment. I'm, I'm designating one day a week just as playtime, so I'm just going to have 25% of my time where I'm I'm going to play with no outcome in mind. Great. I love this um, idea, the experimental mm, day. Yeah, because we need to do it. If, if you think, um, I, I heard somewhere that people working at, at um, uh, development places like or people working at Google or play, places that are doing software development and not that Google is any example, but they are given one day a week to experiment and come up with new ideas. And I thought more than anybody, we as artists need to do yeah, that. Yeah. Not, not be fixed into this production mode where we're just doing cookie cutting <laughs> yeah. um, and, and following a formula. So, that's part of the plan. Yeah, discovering more of the inner world. Wonderful. Do you have any advice for our listeners? Well, I, I always feel that uh, I'm very bad at giving advice. Because <laughs> 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 I should take my own advice. We're all, all, or else we're good at giving advice and not following our, our own advice. Because... Uh, because advice is, uh, yes, we, it sounds really good, but, it's, but I think the, the main thing is, is actually 
just doing the work and not overthinking it. And that's my advice to myself. That's an awesome I one. I overthink everything and don't overthink, just do the work. But there's an old Estonian proverb that I read. It says, to learn to do the work, just do the work. Yeah, I like that one. That's a good one. I'm going <laughs> to put it on my wall. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, one last thing, maybe. How do you see the role of women artists in, in the world in general? Yes, it's, it's a big topic for me, the role of women artists in the world, uh, because we've had a, a pretty rough run up until now. Yeah. And uh, I also see women artists as, as having a tougher time because um, a curator was discussing this topic with me fairly recently, and it's a, this is a woman talking to me. And she said to me, um, that you either have to be very young or very old to make it as a woman artist. <laughs> and Damn. she said, no, I wasn't in the very young role. So she said, you're not old enough yet. Oh, wow. <laughs> so wow. I thought that I was, uh, I was perturbed yeah. and, a bit, and a bit shocked. But, you, but um, that this is something that doesn't apply to male artists. No one would say to a man, you're too young, or you have to be really young, or you have to be really old. And so that, that, um, that was really quite in, intriguing. But uh, I think as women, we just need to stick together a lot more. Yeah, and I'm, I've always wanted to have a project where I curate exhibitions with women artists. I so, know so many good women artists whose work's not being seen. Yeah. So I see that as a project for the future to curate shows, pop-up shows, just with women artists and just make ourselves visible, put ourselves out there, not wait for someone else to do it for us. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks so much, uh, Chris, for spending the time and being so open. It's a pleasure. And uh, have a wonderful day. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please leave me comments or questions. Don't forget to subscribe to the newsletter and follow us on social media. Until next time, get lost, dream and shine.